Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 15. We're really getting into a broader section of narrative here, and as such, we will be taking probably the whole rest of the chapter uh, because really it all serves to illustrate a, a broader point. And what we've seen up to this point, just by way of reminder, is we've seen a, a whole section of divine speeches. And we have more of those continued here because God is still speaking all the way through verse 22. And we see in verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And, and so we, you know, we're going to see some, some more things happening here in the speech. So, but the first thing that we noticed was that God calls his people to be faithful. And then he pledges his promises to the faithful by giving them a new name. He renames Abram to Abraham. And then in verses 9 to 14, we saw that the sign of the covenant was made explicit, that they would be circumcised. And now as we begin to carry this idea forward, verses 15 through 21, and then 23 to 27, we see a couple different things emerge. Uh, number one in 15 to 22, really, uh, that God plans to fulfill his promises in ways that seem impossible. Uh, that's the principle that emerges from that. And then in verses 23 to 27, God's promises should prompt obedience. So let's take a look at this first section here, which is through uh, verse 21, 22. Uh, and we'll just take a moment and read that and then kind of dive into this idea. Verse 15, and God said to Abraham, so now we're in another speech here, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And I suppose we could just read verse 22. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So that really kind of finishes that out, although it does serve to kind of introduce the next section as well. 
So we see that God plans to fulfill his promises in ways that seem impossible. And so before we get to the implementation of the covenant sign that God had demanded from Abraham and his family and all who would come after him, uh, which we'll see here in a moment, we see that he does plan to fulfill his promises or he can plan to fulfill his promises in ways that seem impossible. Verses 15 to 17, we see that he pledges his promise and much as he had done with Abram, turning him to Abraham and and pledging his promise by giving him a new name. He's now pledging his promise specifically that it would happen through Sarai by giving her a new name. So now she goes from Sarai to Sarah, and that is important there. Interestingly, uh, we go, uh, while Abraham's name does change meaning a little bit, Sarai's name really doesn't. To go from Sarai to Sarah, both really carry the meaning of princess. That's, that's really what the, it means there. But, you know, he's renaming her to establish that he is giving a sign, a pledge of this thing that he has promised. Now, you have to understand, I mean, we have human response here, right? Uh, God says this very specific thing. Not only are you going to rename your wife Sarah from Sarai, but he says, I will bless her. Moreover, I will give you a son by her. So if... If it had not been clear before, you know, they failed to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him and say, is, is this thing that we're considering right? Is, is this what you want us to do? You know, none of those things. Uh, uh, they had not done that before. And of course, we know the, the end result of that with Hagar producing Ishmael. So now God says and makes it absolutely crystal clear, I'm going to give you a son by Sarah. I will bless her. She shall become a nation. Kings and people shall come from her. But notice the human reaction here. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, you know, I think in unbelief, we often, you know, are limited by the things that, that are part of our everyday life and experience. And so for the most part, there are some observable things and, and nine times out of 10, in fact, probably 99 times out of a hundred or even more things go on as they usually are. And they are predictable, but every once in a while things happen outside of the ordinary. And of course, when it comes to the great promises of God, uh, we would expect that God works in unusual ways. And so we're not surprised to find that, not only in dealing with the Messiah, but in other things as well. And God is pleased many times to, to show himself mighty in unusual ways that are way outside of what people would normally come up with. And he does that on purpose. I mean, you think about the book of Judges with the account of Gideon, right? J- Judges chapter 7. And we read this fascinating account here. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. This is a very interesting statement. Why are they too many? Lest what? Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. 
that therefore now proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So we now know that there were 32,000 to start with. They're going to go to battle against the Midianites, uh, but 22,000 leave right away. Just as soon as they're just offered the opportunity. If you just don't want to be here, off you go. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water. I will test them for you there. Anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps at the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who laughed putting their hand to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions and so forth. Okay. And that night, the Lord says to Gideon, arise, take these 300 men uh, with you and go and attack the camp of the Midianites. So they go and do that, and then you can read about that. It goes all the way into chapter 8, and then they pursue even more of their enemies. And when all is said and done, we read this in chapter 8, verse 10. Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers. Okay, so a lot of people here. I mean, you would think, all right, <laughs> kind of a long illustration there, but you would think that even having 32,000 men, you know, still, you know, is it guaranteed that you could have victory over 120,000? Uh, you know, that's that's like a four to one, right? I mean, we've, we've got each person in Gideon's army is going to have to fight off four people. That's that's a lot. And the Lord says, too many, get rid of 22,000. Now we're going to get rid of nearly 10,000 more so that you're just left with 300. 300 against 120,000. I like those odds. I mean, God works in unconventional ways. And he works in ways that seem impossible. I mean, think about the victory uh, at Jericho. <laughs> the military strategy for taking over the town of Jericho and, and conquering that uh, not going to be employed by today's militaries anywhere in the world. They're not issuing shofars and trumpets uh, to go and defeat enemies these days because God works in ways that seem impossible. And so when we, so all of that to say we are bound, and usually it's hard for us to think outside of the box because we know the things that we've experienced. We know the way of the world around us 99 times out of 100. So when you get to that age in today's world, and it was the same way, you know, for Abraham and Sarah, you get to a certain point where you're no longer able to have children from a, a normal biological, physiological sense. Sarah knows that she's beyond childbearing. Abraham can't even fathom having children. They've been barren for, you know, a century. And so he laughs. I mean, I think that, I think that his reaction is understandable. I'm not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And in this case, you know, he's not going to get punished or anything. It, it is very interesting that God tells him what he's going to name his son. You know, Abraham says what he says and God says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. That's verse 19. Isaac means laughter. And the first person who laughs is his father, Abraham. Abraham. 
And I think what one of the things that that shows us is that God does have a sense of humor. I mean, he created us after his own likeness and in his own likeness and image, right? And after his image. And, and so the point is, is that part of that is, is that when we have a sense of humor and we display that, that doesn't mean that that's foreign to God. I, I think that God has a sense of humor as well. And so he can use these things as important lessons. And, and, and we see that coming forward. So then, and, and this really gets us into the second aspect of this promise here, that God specifies the miraculous nature of the promise, and he makes it explicit. Not only does he say back in 16, you will have a son by her, he says, no, your wife. Uh, if I wasn't clear back in verse 16, uh, verse 18, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son or sorry, verse 19, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Okay. This son is coming from Sarah. That's your wife. In case you, you know, it's not coming from a handmaiden, not coming from anybody else. It's coming from Sarah. You will call his name Isaac, laughter. You laugh now. And because of you, uh, of this laugh now, you will be reminded that God laughed really at your laughter. You are going to name him laughter because you will be reminded that you laughed when you heard the promises of God and God laughed at your laughing at that. And uh, it's kind of just a, a cute little play here, but we are reminded that God is the God of the impossible. Does it mean we should be looking for the impossible? Does it mean that we should be seeking that out, praying for those things? Well, you know, sometimes we can pray for the impossible. And I know that that happens when people are in dire, uh, in a dire position with regard to health uh, circumstances and things like that. I, I know that that happens. So I'm not naive to that. And I know that, you know, when we get, when we get a report of somebody having an aggressive, fast acting, late stage cancer out of the blue, it seems to be happening a lot these days, all of a sudden no cancer and they're stage four terminal. I mean, these things are just horrible. Do we pray for a miracle? Of course we do. Yeah, of course we do. You know, and we have the precedent in prayer, you know, from Jesus himself, right? I mean, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he goes off to pray by himself, what does he pray? You know, he knows what he's been sent to earth to do. He knows that he came down out of heaven to do his father's will. And yet when he's faced with this incredibly painful step that's in front of him, what does he say? He says, Lord, if it's possible, Father, you know, let this cup pass from before me. Yeah, not my will, but but yours be done. And so I think it's just, it's fine for us to pray for those things, but we, we shouldn't let the result of those or the, the lack of, you know, perceived miraculous answer or anything shape or affect our theology. That leads us then to the last part of this narrative here, that God's promises should prompt obedience. Now we're not to the sacrifice yet of Isaac. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the birth of Isaac, so we're going to have to wait on that for just a moment. But God has already said earlier in the chapter that, that the sign of this covenant that he's making with Abraham is going to be circumcision. And when God makes a promise, he says, this is what I want you to do, then you've got to do it. <laughs> And God has pledged and, and, and given a sign of his pledge in the renaming of both Abraham and Sarah at this point. But God has also made some stipulations. And so he says, it's going to have to be that you and all the males of your household are going to get circumcised. If anybody is found uncircumcised in your household, then they're not going to be able to inherit the promises that I have for your family. 
And so we see that this obedience is required. So we read this now. The, the speeches are over. Verse 22, again, we said it can either end the last section or start the new section. So you could take that either way. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So the speeches are over. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, who keep in mind at this point is 13 years old. And all those born in his house or bought with his money, just like God said, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Again, all back in the beginning of the chapter. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So we see that God's promises should prompt obedience. And so we see Abraham obeying. And this is incredible. I, I just, you know, it's, this one's hard for me to wrap my mind around other than, you know, Lord, give me the strength to obey. If we know the right thing to do, uh, you know, we've got to do it. And we've got to say, okay, Lord, uh, you know, I'm relying on you. <laughs> Give me the strength to do what I know that needs to be done. But uh, you, you think about this, there's a reason why the circumcision later on, according to the Mosaic law, is going to happen at, at, at eight days old. And I think that that is actually prescribed here as well. Yeah, it is back in verse uh, verse 12 of this chapter. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations. So, we see that earlier when he gives that, and this actually, you know, obviously precedes the Mosaic law, but that will carry in into the future. And we know this, you know, that there's really no better time and the child will not bear any memory of that. Well, <laughs> the older you get, the harder it is to go through with something like that. And, uh, that's just, you know, mind boggling just from a physiological standpoint. I mean, that's going to be something that's going to stay with Abraham for the rest of his life uh, to have that kind of operation without anesthetic or any of those type of things at 99 years old, even would be slightly traumatic for Ishmael, but it didn't matter the age of the men in his house. Everyone did it no matter what. There were no exceptions. It's quite an amazing thing, but when God tells us to do something and then it requires obedience and we see, you know, definitely the ante has been upped here because we've got the name changes. Now we've got the physical uh, obedience that is required, and that requires a great deal of faith. And so we see Abraham growing as we've already started to notice a trend in his life. And his faith has definitely matured to bring him to this point. And uh, I think that the Lord now knows he is ready for what's coming next. Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll wrap it up there and we'll pick it up next time as we start in on chapter 18. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.